This is a presentation from Narara Valley Baptist Church, a church that's desperate for God and passionate for people. A little series about reconnecting with one another and with God. Uh, And you'll see behind me a little spoiler of what I'm preaching about this morning. Serve one another. Uh, I wonder how you react when you're instructed like that. Out of, out of nowhere, sitting there minding your own business, suddenly serve one another. Uh, maybe you have a reaction um, like a small child. I don't want to, you say. Uh, it, it's a little bit, you know, uh, sometimes our, our inner child uh, just kind of jumps out at us. We wouldn't ever verbally say it, or at least not in that whiny voice. But somewhere deep inside, you just kind of go, oh, do I have to? Is it my responsibility? Can't someone else do it? Um, And I actually think that I want to sit with that feeling this morning and explore it, because I think it's the feeling that the disciples had uh, in the upper room in John chapter 13, which I'm going to read for us now. Uh, This is John chapter 13, and I'm reading... Uh, from verse 1, if you want to read along. It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress and the devil had already prompted Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then Lord, Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean. And you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him, and that is why he said, not everyone was clean. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you, he asked them? You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. What do you picture in that scene? Uh, Maybe it looks something like this in your head. This is the most famous uh, rendition of this scene. Uh, This is Da Vinci's The Last Supper. 
Is that, is that kind of what you picture? Um, because if it is, uh, it's historically inaccurate. <laughs> um, you see, that table and that tablecloth and those chairs are all very European. Uh, they are the kind of tables and chairs that da Vinci would have sat at uh, with his friends when he had a meal. I don't know why they all sat on the same side of the table. Maybe that was da Vinci's way of having a meal. Seems a bit weird to me. Um, no, I'm sure it was just for artistic effect, so you could see everyone's faces. Um, let me give you a little history lesson. This is a cliné. A cliné uh, is a bed, essentially. It's like a, it's like a couch. Um, if you're French, it's a chaise longue. Uh, this, is, this is what the disciples would have reclined on. In fact, the word recline comes from this piece of furniture in English. Uh, the cliné was a bed. Uh, in fact, this piece of furniture, this word, was used for the bed that you slept on at night. It was used for the couch that you reclined on it at a, at a meal. Uh, it was that they had them outdoors in the courtyard in the middle of... The, they had courtyards in the middle of houses often in ancient Rome, uh, and they'd have an outdoor couch, like we've got outdoor couches, um, that they would recline on and, and sip their wine and chat with their friends. Um, these are quite ornate I don't think the disciples and Jesus were in a particularly ornate room. Maybe they were. Um, I don't imagine it being quite this lavish. Uh, but this is the idea. You, you'd, you'd sort of lean down to one side on your left elbow and you'd eat and drink with your right hand and your feet would kind of be sticking out beside you or maybe you'd kind of drape them down on the floor near, near you and everyone would kind of just relax. That'd be nice, wouldn't it? I think we should start, start that up again. Um, so I pictured the disciples reclining there. Uh, maybe they had little, little tables like this, one for each spot, um, or perhaps more likely they had a slightly bigger table or a few medium-sized tables with a few of these clinés dotted around the room. Um, it would have been kind of chaotic, a bit like this. This is a, a different artist's rendition. Uh, this is James Tissot, I think that's how you say it, he's French, that sounds right to me, um, and he, he, he did a bit more historical research than our mate da Vinci, um, and you can see uh, the disciples all kind of lounging around um, on slightly more modest cliné there, um, I think this is, we're getting closer uh, to the mental image we should have of this meal. Now why am I going into all of this? Johnny, what's your point? Um, the point is that I want you to not just picture what it looked like, but to picture what it smelt like at this meal. All these disciples and Jesus, these 13 men, had been wandering around on the dirty streets of Jerusalem and outside of Jerusalem around Bethany where they were, where they were staying in this week. Um, it, was, it was hot they were sweaty. Um, the streets weren't lovely paved concrete. Uh, the streets were dirty and dusty. Uh, animals would wander down these same streets as people and leave their droppings in piles. And then, you know, they'd get kicked around and stepped on. Uh, the disciples were wearing 
open-toed sandals, if they wore shoes at all. And they would have stepped in all sorts of horrible things. And when you're reclining like this, your feet are kind of up around, potentially around table height or around nose height of the person reclining beside you. Uh, so the smell would have wafted into your nostrils as you sat there. So there was, an, there was a custom. What would happen when you went to someone's house for a, a dinner party? Uh, before the main meal, someone would come to wash everyone's feet so that you didn't have that lovely aroma as you tried to eat your roast lamb and bread, which is what they were eating, by the way. Uh, but it wasn't something that just anyone would do. This was a job especially reserved for the lowest-ranking person. <laughs> this was a job nobody wanted to do, and everyone would say, I won't do it, I won't do it, I won't do it, and the one person who couldn't refuse would end up doing it. That was the tradition, the lowest rank. Now, this sounds a bit weird to us Aussies in the 21st century, uh, that everybody in society would have a social rank. Uh, but in ancient times, in an honor-shame culture, that's how things worked. Everyone knew where they stood in the kind of hierarchy. Uh, if you were male, if you were older, uh, if you were... Roman, racially, uh, if you had Roman citizenship, uh, if you were free and not a slave, uh, if you were wealthy, if you were related to nobility or you were nobility or you were the emperor, those were the things that kind of bumped you up and up and up the social ladder. And if you weren't some or all of those things, if you were female, if you were younger, if you weren't Roman, you were barbarian, uh, if you weren't a citizen, if you were a slave, then you were down the bottom. So in this house, with these disciples and Jesus sitting down to their meal, maybe they, they didn't own slaves. This, this family who owned this house might have had no slaves. Never mind. Surely they could find someone who was an employee there, uh, maybe one of the, the women who lived there. Somebody must have been the lowest ranking, even if we didn't have a slave present. But for some reason that we don't know, nobody put their hand up and said, well, I guess that's my job today. And quite rightly, it was a gross job no one wanted to do, right? So I think the disciples are all sitting around thinking, this isn't very pleasant, but I really hope somebody else will offer to wash everyone's feet here. Like, I don't want to do it because I'm not the lowest ranking person here. Surely that disciple over there, Andrew, he can do it. I'm Peter, I'm special. You see, they're sort of, they're, they're kind of ranking themselves in their minds and saying, well, I'm not the lowest here so I won't do it. And then they look at Jesus and they think, Jesus is sneaky. Jesus pulls these weird, crazy stunts on us all the time. We've been around Jesus for three years. You never know what he's going to say and what he's going to do. And maybe, 
maybe he'll ask me to wash everyone's feet. That would be shameful. That would be like him singling me out and saying, I'm the lowest ranking person here. And he might try to kind of preach some sermon about loving everyone or something. And, and, but I know in my heart of hearts, I've grown up, I've lived in this culture my whole life. If I have to do the foot washing, that makes me the lowest. It's shameful. So what happened? Jesus got up from the table, took off his robe, wrapped a towel around his waist, and poured water into a basin. And he carried the basin, and he put it down in front of the cleaner. You learnt a new word today, didn't you? And he knelt on the floor, and he said, let me wash your feet. This man that you have followed for three years, who has taught amazing sermons, who has led you and shown you the way for you to know God, this great man with power who heals the sick, he, he calmed the storm just days before he, ro- he raised Lazarus from the grave. That man who you worship, he takes off his robe, kneels on the floor in front of you, and invites you to place your feet in his basin of water. You feel his rough hands on the skin of your gross feet, scrubbing away all the muck, and all the dirt. And then he takes your feet out of the basin and he takes the towel from his waist and he places your feet in his lap and he dries them. It's so strange. It's so intimate. It's so awkward, right? Surely. Surely that was why Peter reacted the way he did. When Jesus came to Peter, Peter said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? And Jesus replied, you don't understand now what I'm doing, but someday you will. No, Peter protested, you will never wash my feet. Never, ever. He cannot bear it. It's too much for him. He's so ingrained in this honor-shame culture. He's so respectful of Jesus that he can't bear to have Jesus wash his feet. He loves Jesus too much to let Jesus do it. And Jesus says, you don't understand, but someday you will. What do you think that means? What do you think Jesus is thinking of as he washes these disciples' feet? Something significant, clearly. I think he's thinking about his death. Uh, At the end of this meal, they go out to the Garden of Olives and and, and some soldiers and Judas show up and Jesus gets arrested and taken off and tried in the middle of the night and the day after, he gets nailed to a cross and dies. And I think he knows 
And I think he's thinking about that as he washes these feet. The early Christians wrote a song about this idea, uh, and it's been recorded for us by Paul in his letter to the Philippians. He quotes it here and says, Jesus, though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges and took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. And when he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. They would sing that in their church services. Jesus, who was God, became human. And Jesus, the man, took on the role of a slave, made himself the lowest of the low. Jesus, the slave, died a criminal's death on a cross. And I think John, in writing John chapter 13, is kind of doing the same thing here. There's a kind of movement to these verses. Jesus knew that the Father had given him authority over everything and that he had come from God and would return to God. So, what does this God-man do? He got up from the table, took off his robe, wrapped a towel around his waist, poured water into a basin, and began to wash the disciples' feet. There's a direction to that, isn't there? That follows the Philippians 2 descent. What do we do with that? How do you respond to that? This is unbelievable, that the God of the universe would come down and down and down and down. This story should shape us. This story should shape our whole worldview. We, as Jesus followers, should be people who, who see the world an upside-down way, who honour those that the world shames, and who see through the facade of those that the world esteems. Our ideas about status, about hierarchy, about trying to climb a ladder to get people to like you and respect you, to get more influence, to get more power. That's the way the world works. But it's not the way of Jesus. He taught his disciples exactly this. He said, you know that the rulers of this world lord it over their people and officials flaunt their authority over those under them. But among you, it'll be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. Whoever wants to be first among you must be the slave of everyone else. For even the Son of Man, that is Jesus himself, came not to be served but to serve others and give his life as a ransom for many. And Jesus teaches the same thing again. As soon as he returns to his seat, his clinae, uh, he sits down and he, he says, do you understand what I was doing? You call me teacher and Lord, 
and you're right, because that's what I am. And since I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, in effect, since I, your Lord and teacher, have become your slave, you ought to wash each other's feet. I have given you an example to follow. Do as I have done to you. I tell you the truth, slaves are not greater than their master, nor is the messenger more important than the one who sends the message. Now that you know these things, God will bless you for doing them. He's changed the game. He's rewritten the rule book. He said, don't climb to the top, climb to the bottom. Don't sit there saying, it's somebody else's job, someone will wash my feet for me. Do as Jesus did. Get up from the table, take off your robe, put on your towel, kneel at their feet. How does it work? How is everyone the servant? Not just Jesus, but all his disciples. Are they all going to like fight over who does the foot washing now? They were fighting over who wouldn't do it, and now they're going to fight over who does it. Is everyone a slave? What does this do? I think what he's saying is to strive, not for greatness, but to strive for servanthood. Us, us Aussies, maybe we get this more than the disciples could. Because we live in a world, in a, with a worldview in Australia at least, where people value humility. We have this, you heard of the phrase, the tall poppy syndrome? Yeah, we don't like people being at the top in the hierarchy. We want everyone to be level, we want everyone to be equal. We, we value that just in our Australian culture, let alone in the church. We value people who are humble, people who serve. We call our ministers in government ministers. That means servants. It comes from this idea. Most Australians don't even know this, but Jesus invented that. Jesus changed the game, rewrote the rule book, and we're living in the legacy of that, and a lot of people don't even realize it's a Jesus thing. The leaders are the servants. And yet, that doesn't let us off the hook. That doesn't make it easy, because we still struggle to choose to serve without grumbling. We still struggle to serve with joy. We still have that inner child's voice in our heart of hearts that says, do I have to? Do I really? Surely somebody else can do that. I've done my bit. I've done enough. It's someone else's turn now. Or we do it because we think we should, but we hate every second of it. But I imagine Jesus with that basin of water, with a twinkle in his eye, watching his disciples squirm awkwardly and kind of having a little chuckle to himself, especially with Peter's reaction. I mean, he's known Peter now for a few years. I mean, he knows Peter in a kind of supernatural sense too, I think. But this is classic Peter. 
to react like that. And I think that would have been funny. I think Jesus would have had a chuckle, a little knowing smile to say, you don't understand what I'm doing, but someday you will. You don't get it right now, but you will. There's a joy in it. How do we capture that? I want that. That's going to make it a lot easier to serve, isn't it? I think we get it from our freedom. Which is kind of a paradox, isn't it? I've just been saying we need to be slaves, we need to be slaves, we need to take on the nature of a slave, we need to become the servant. And now I'm saying the way to do that with joy is to have freedom. A free person isn't a slave. They're opposites. But there's this paradox where because Jesus has so loved me, because Jesus has gone and died on the cross, because Jesus has done that descent upon descent upon descent and taken my place, because I am so secure and assured by His love for me, I don't have to worry about what people think of me. I don't have to worry about being honoured and respected and valued by people. I don't need to grasp for power and influence and status anymore. I can just enjoy serving. And I can enjoy copying Jesus, who I love so much and want to be like Him so much. And when I get to do that, that's a joy. That's wonderful. I want to encourage you, right here, right now, as we talk about being servants, that there are a multitude of ways that we can serve one another here at MVBC. Think of the joy that you could have setting out these chairs, getting us ready for our our worship together. Think of the joy you could have standing out in the car park in all kinds of weather, helping people park their cars and get in and out safely and not get run over. Think of the joy you could have getting here really early before anyone else gets here and unlocking the doors and turning on the lights. Think of it. Emptying bins, cleaning toilets, repairing broken things. Does that sound joyful? If it does, put it on your card. Maybe you'd have a great joy at phoning or visiting people who are feeling sick or lonely or in hospital, uh, people in need. You could do some pastoral care and get alongside people. That'd be a joy. Maybe you could stand in the forecourt and welcome people when they arrive at church on a Sunday. Uh, Maybe you could help new people to to meet people and to integrate and to get to know our community, to connect with us. Maybe you'd love the thankless task of sitting up on the AV desk and when there's a weird buzzing noise, everyone turns and glares at you. What a joy! Am I right? (laughs) Maybe you'd love to be at kids' church, uh, to hang out with the kids and miss out on the sermon on a Sunday, have to catch up later on the podcast. Maybe you'd love to serve during the week, 
Maybe you'd love to help out with fitness with Laura. Maybe you'd love to help out with play group. Maybe you'd love to host a connect group. I'm looking for new connect group hosts. We'd love to have more connect groups. Maybe that could be you. You could clean your house every week uh, and get everything all neat and tidy. What a joy. Maybe you could cook meals for people who are struggling and and need someone uh, to take that load off them for a while. Maybe you could serve outside MBBC, just in your own... What do you guys... You guys talk about going into your field, don't you? You could serve in your field. Uh, You could serve at home with your family. You could serve at school. You could serve at work. You could serve your neighbours. You could serve complete strangers. You don't have to. It's not your job. If you don't do it, hopefully someone else will. But you've been set free. And you can take on the nature of a servant. You are free from selfishness, freed from greed, free from that grasping for power or state or or influence, free from the need to look down on others, free to be the one others look down on and not worry. You've been made whole. You've been made new by Jesus. You can serve one another. And I encourage you to do so. I want to finish uh, with one more verse from the Bible. Uh, This is from Galatians chapter 5, verse 13. And I think this sums it all up perfectly. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. So serve one another humbly in love. That's all there is to it. How about I pray as the band comes up? Lord God, uh, we, we praise you that you have set us free. Lord, we thank you that you love us so much, so deeply. Lord, uh, we no longer want to just live uh, for ourselves. We no longer want to just live to get ahead. Uh, Lord, We want to live for you, and we want to live like you. We want to love each other and serve each other and and be a community of servants where everyone is helping everyone else and everyone is receiving uh, that service from someone. Lord, I pray that you would shape each of us as individuals, but more than that, Lord, I pray that you would shape this church, that we as your people would be a community of servant-hearted people, people who love to serve one another and people who serve uh, beyond these walls, beyond this property, uh, who serve our neighbours, who serve strangers in the street. Uh, Lord, I pray that uh, you would give us the freedom that we need uh, to joyfully serve. In Jesus' name.
This has been a presentation from Narara Valley Baptist Church, a church that's desperate for God and passionate for people. To continue the conversation, we invite you to join us Sundays at 9.30am and 5pm or on our website at www.nvbc.info.